Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, April 24th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the latest in the race to permanently fill the U.S. Senate seat vacated by former Senator Thad Cochran. In StoryCorps, a conversation on raising children nearly 40 years ago when some moms were staying at home. Then, new legislation is designed to protect those who receive Social Security disability. We'll get the details. Plus, advocates want more Mississippians to consider becoming a foster parent. We'll find out about a growing opportunity to make a difference. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The four big-name candidates running for former U.S. Senator Thad Cochran's seat are now officially in the race. Today's the deadline for candidates to file for the special election. Republican State Senator Chris McDaniel is the latest high-profile candidate to submit papers for a U.S. Senate run. Former Agriculture Commissioner Cindy Hyde-Smith, a Republican, was appointed to the U.S. Senate seat by Governor Phil Bryant on a temporary basis. Speaking to supporters in Brookhaven recently, Hyde-Smith says she'll lean on her faith to guide her in the Senate. I pledge to you that every day I will seek his face and fight for the things that matter to me and they matter to you. Hyde Smith and State Senator Chris McDaniel are Republicans. Former U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Mike Espy and Tupelo Mayor Jason Shelton are also running. Both of them are Democrats. Mayor Shelton says he wants to take his success as a mayor to Washington. He tells MPB's Mark Rigsby why he made the decision to enter the race. I'm running uh, because it's time for the next generation of leadership in the United States Senate. And because of my experience here in Tupelo, I'm ready to lead. We have such a great history of sending statesmen to the Senate to uh, to stand up for working Mississippians, to do the actual job of being a United States senator. And that's something that I have a proven ability uh, to do right here as mayor of my hometown. And uh, that's, um, that's what I intend to do as a senator, you know, get behind get beyond, rather, the talking points and the rhetoric 
and get down to the, you know, the everyday job of rolling up your sleeves and working hard to be a United States senator to, um, you know, to better the state of Mississippi. As you know, Senator Cochran, a Republican, has held that position for several years. What makes you think a Democrat can now break in? We have a proven record of success here in Tupelo. We have a message that will resonate with voters and citizens all across the state. Um, and we're going to work hard uh, to carry that message you know, to every corner of our state and meet as many people as we can and listen to as many people as we can um, as we, you know, as we campaign. This is a, uh, you know, while it's, uh, I'm certainly a Democrat, this is a nonpartisan special election. Uh, we have an opportunity to reach out to every single voter of the state. And we have the best record to run on, you know, a record of hard work, a record of success and proven results. How challenging do you think this will be, seeing that you you will be running in the special election in the fall against three other candidates with a little bit more experience and name recognition? We're going to work hard every single day to reach as many voters as we can. Uh, but as far as experience, I think we need to talk about relevant experience that's necessary to do the job. You know, I've been on the ground level of where the rubber meets the road, uh, working on you know in conjunction with the local and federal level to get things done for real people. So at the end of the day, this election is about real people and real issues and getting real results. Uh, I'm going to have the best record of success of any candidate in this race, a record of job creation, a record of improved quality of life and investment in infrastructure, you know, reducing debt, uh, having a budget surplus, you know, doing uh, the things that we need to be doing as a country to put ourselves in a better position going forward. Uh, you know, I'm going to put my record of success against the other candidates and make the case of why I'm the best candidate. Uh, we're going to be competitive in fundraising, and we're going to uh, outwork every other candidate in this race. You mentioned fundraising. How are you doing with fundraising right now? We're off to a great start and, you know, um, working hard every day to continue doing that. And, you know, it would in a perfect world, fundraising would not be an issue. In the real world, it is. Uh, but we're going, uh, we're off to a great start, and that's uh, something that I anticipate to continue through Election Day. What's the number one issue you would like to tackle in the Senate? The number one issue is is not, is a series of, of issues, if you will. You know, the job of being a United States senator, we have, uh, you know, all these hot-button topics that uh, create sound bites and create media uh, stories, but they ignore the real job of being a senator, the nuts and bolts of the job of what the senator is sent there to do, and that's to help Mississippi and help Mississippians, and that's what I'm running on, and that's what I can do better than any of the other candidates. Jason Shelton is the mayor of Tupelo and running for U.S. Senate. Thanks for being on the program today. We do appreciate your time. Absolutely, Mark. Thank you so much for having me.
Jason Chilton with our Mark Rigsby. Toby Barty of Gaucher has also filed candidacy paperwork. In Mississippi, special elections are nonpartisan. The election will be held on November 6th. Coming up, new legislation is designed to protect those who receive Social Security disability. We'll get the details. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, this is Bill Ellison, host of Grassroots on MPB. Few artists have had greater influence on American folk and acoustic music than guitarist Doc Watson. Doc was part of the 1960s folk revival. He was also a star of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band's early 70s classic Will the Circle Be Unbroken album. And he's in the Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame. Doc is also a frequent guest in the Bluegrass Cabin, so come see us on Grassroots Saturday night at 8 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippians who handle Social Security payments for people with disabilities could face greater scrutiny under a new law signed by President Donald Trump. The Strengthening Protections for Social Security Beneficiaries Act, or H.R. 4547, will increase oversight and protections for vulnerable citizens who use the representative payee program. A representative payee is a person who acts as the receiver of funds for a person who's not fully capable of managing their own benefits. This comes after some investigations have uncovered representative payees who have stolen or misused funds, exploited, neglected, and even abused the people with disabilities they're supposed to be helping. Polly Tribble is executive director of Disability Rights Mississippi, the state's protection and advocacy system. With offices in Jackson and Gulfport, she tells us they will have a large population to monitor and investigate. There are 249,440 people who receive Social Security benefits in Mississippi. What is a representative payee? A representative payee is a person who acts as the receiver of Social Security disability or supplemental security income for a person who gets benefits and is not fully capable of managing their own benefits. How is that person determined? Um, in, at the application stage, um, they somebody will make application to be their rep payee. Is it usually a relative of the person with the disability? Sometimes it can be. Sometimes it's an operator of a personal care home that they live in. All right, so there is this new piece of legislation on a federal level. It's called Strengthening Protections for Social Security Beneficiaries Act. What is the intent of that? This bill will increase oversight of the Social Security's representative payee program. And so the protection and advocacy in each state will be charged with investigating representative payees. Is there a lot of abuse going on? There has been. There um, Investigations in our state have showed that there is some exploitation of finances in some cases. And other in other states, they have found that there have been stolen or misused funds. Uh, people have been neglected, um, even abused. It seems like it would be difficult to find out where that abuse is if the person with a disability has to have a payee because they're not capable of handling that money themselves, then it seems they might not be capable of reporting if that money is being misused. 
Right. So that's why Social Security has this oversight protection so that if they have a representative payee, then we will know that and we we can investigate. How directly is the Disability Rights Mississippi Group involved with these kinds of cases in Mississippi? Well, up till now, we have not done, we, we had a contract several years ago, but starting August 1st is when our um, investigations will begin. And we will get names from Social Security. How will you know how to, who to investigate? Um, Social Security will earmark people for us to go investigate and they'll tell us who to go investigate. Um, sometimes it's just a random thing or it might be something they suspect abuse already. What happens then if someone is determined to be abusing their position as a payee representative? In the past, we have notified Social Security and they take over to investigate. In this new program, I'm not sure how that's going to happen. But if it's found that someone is misrepresenting themselves or the misappropriating the money, will the person with the disability be assigned someone else? How does that work? That is yet to be determined by our national um, disability rights network, but we have other protection and advocacy programs here that we can investigate if there is abuse of of a vulnerable person. What do you see the outcome of this being? How how important is this legislation overall? Oh, I think it's a great day for people who get benefits. And um, I'm excited about the fact that the money that the government, that Social Security is giving people will be used for that person and not abused possibly by someone else. I hope we'll see an increase in community living and quality of life for people. Polly Tribble is the executive director of Disability Rights Mississippi. Polly, thank you so much for the information today. Sure. Thank you for helping us get the word out. Coming up, advocates want more Mississippians to consider becoming a foster parent. We'll find out about a growing opportunity to make a difference. That's after a conversation in StoryCorps. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Ophira Eisenberg, host of NPR's Ask Me Another. Do you have an extra car that you wash more than most people go to the dentist? Well, save some time and some water and donate it to us. Think about it. Rather than it sitting there taking up space, your extra car could be making public radio. And when you donate it here, you may also qualify for a tax deduction. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. A lot of attention has been paid in recent years to the professional roles of women and the challenges they still face in the workplace. In today's StoryCorps Mississippi conversation, Anna Neal talks with her daughter, Jamie Masters, about what it was like for women working 40 or more years ago. Most of your your friends' moms were not like career women, right? Most of my friends, when I was growing up, their mother just didn't work at all. But you have to remember, this is coming in after the Second World War, after the Philippines War, and the men were coming back into the country, and the women that were working went into the homes, and they stayed there. So I was part of that generation whose mothers didn't work. Daddy got up, 
went to work and everybody came home at five o'clock and everybody had a cocktail and then they had dinner and watched television and then everyone went to bed. And that was the American dream. And that's where that whole American mainstream is what I was raised in. Having grown up in that, what was it like for you as a young adult trying to figure out sort of your place? Well, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be I wanted to be an artist and I knew I wanted to work in creative. My father, the first year when I was heading to college, he's told me, he said, the reason you're going to college now is to go and find a husband. That's the only reason for a young woman like you to go to work. Of course, by the time I graduated, things had changed so dramatically in this country. He didn't feel that way anymore. But at the, that when I, as a freshman, he did. That was quite a big change in just four years. Well, you have to remember that whole time, the 60s and the 70s were times of major change. So we had major changes and we had women's rights come in. We had people like Gloria Steinem. We had some very, very, and especially as I got a little further in my career, by seven or eight years into my career, the women's movement had come along and things were dramatically starting to change. But when I first went into J. Walter Thompson, I was the only woman. Everybody else was either a production person or a copywriter, and I was the only art, not an art director, but there were no women art directors at that time. And I mean, I was not unusual for something like the creative director just to walk over and just hand a cup of coffee to one of the women and say, give me coffee get me this. And basically, this woman just would run back and forth, back and forth, doing whatever they wanted to say. At that time, everyone had a secretary. People didn't type their own letters. They handed it to a secretary who went off and typed it and then brought it back for approval. It was just a whole different time at that point in the game. And women had jobs, but they weren't jobs of influence. So how hard was that when you started to try to have a family as a young adult? You were essentially trying to work and build a career, but you had young children. Well, it, you I have don't to, like, think... take off and they get sick. And how do you explain your ma very male-dominated people that you've got to take off because your kid is sick? You know, I think that there's been a lot of improvements about it. And I think there's a lot of husbands that are true partners that are helping these days. But I still think it's not dramatically improved I was fortunate that had a husband who did help and was willing to say, okay, you go to work half a day, I'll go to work half a day when there was a sick child. But as far as the job market and as far as employers understanding or making extra time for families and understanding, I still, even today, have seen people with young children get a lot of pings on their performance because they had to take time off with a sick child or something like that. Luckily, by the time I was having children, I was working for an agency that was owned by a family. So that was a little bit more helpful because the family was involved, the family was all there. On the other hand, it also held me back because it was a family business. I was never going to become a major partner, partner CEO, or CEO or, like or anything like that in that business. <laughs> so from that standpoint, it was very bad. But I will tell you, the biggest thing was the salary. It wasn't the amount of support you got because you had to take care of your kids or not. I remember when I went to work for RCA and I had gone through an agency and the agency had said, okay, we're going to start you at X amount of money. And they decided they were going to hire me, but the vice presidents were coming out and saying, ask her to, if she'll go to work for less money. Offer her $3,000 less and see if she'll go to work for it. She's a woman. She'll go to work for it. We don't have to pay her as much. And I did. 
and I learned a lot there. But that was pretty prevalent, and I'm not so sure it's not still prevalent today. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps Mobile Tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps Mobile Tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The need for therapeutic foster parents is increasing in Mississippi. That's according to advocates at Canopy Children's Solutions. The Mississippi Department of Child Protection Services regularly refers new children to be removed from their homes and placed into a therapeutic foster care program. Therapeutic foster care is needed when the child has severe mental and emotional health needs or severe behavioral health needs, such as seven-year-old Latoya Stewart in her therapeutic and her therapeutic foster mother. She says the child's mother is mentally ill and Stella was neglected growing up. Um, When I first met my current foster child, she was not talking. She was um, mimicking like animals. Um, noises. Um, she understood everything, receptive language. She understood. She could understand anything that was being said to her, but she could not express herself. Um, so she was nonverbal. Um, she was not potty trained, and she was three, mid, mid threes. And typically, a three year old, three year old, three and a half year old, they're typically good at potty trained. Um, she would not walk down small steps. She would bend over and grab the step just to step down into my little small step, not not the larger ones. And and she was just kind of easily stimulated. If you wore big earrings or things that shine, she would just grab it. Um, and just she's very easily stimulated. So when I got her, um, the first night she was at my house, she would not sleep in the other room, which was fine. She don't have to sleep with me. Um, but really after a couple of days, started talking, saying night-night, because that's how I said, let's go night-night, because she said night-night, she's going to sleep, she's going to have to make And I said, okay, she's not nonverbal at all. She's not, because I thought she was autistic, a nonverbal autistic child. And I was like, uh-uh, there's nothing wrong with her. She just needs to be taught how to talk. So I wouldn't do anything for her unless she tried to say the word. So when she went, water, I said, you want, she would point. And I said, water, I want water, wawa. Okay, fine, I'll take that. I would give it to her. So four years later, she won't shut up. She talks nonstop, complete sentences. Are they grammatically correct? No, most of the time not at all. But for the most part, um, she has come a long way. She knows how to eat in public now. She knows how to behave to a certain degree. I mean, she's seven, so you know so much fun to behave and they're going to learn. But now she's almost not quite along the lines of a typical seven-year-old girl. Latia Stewart, foster mother of seven-year-old Stella. Advocates are asking more Mississippians to consider becoming foster parents. Tony Fletcher is a permanency, permanency supervisor with Canopy Children's Solutions and says she hopes to get as many prospective parents as possible listed in the foster program during an open forum today in Jackson. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood how many children are in need of a home. Right now in the state of Mississippi, there are over 5,000 children in the foster care system. 27% of the children that's in foster care right now that's available for adoption. Um, How many families are you looking for right now? 
Right now we're looking for, I want to say just as many families as we could get, but my goal right now is at least 10 families for the therapeutic foster care because out of the, let's just say, 5,500 children that's in the state of Mississippi in foster care, those children have suffered some kind of traumatic event in their life and they may be ruled to need therapeutic placement. So at least about 10 families if we could get, and that's what the informational is, is for individuals and families who are interested in becoming therapeutic foster parents. Those um, persons that saying, I know that there are children out there that need more than maybe just a regular foster home can provide that need that therapeutic services, and I'm willing to give that to them. What are some of the um, traumatic instances that they may have experienced, and also what makes a parent, uh, I guess, eligible to help that child? Therapeutic foster care goes hand-in-hand with foster care because children can be in foster care, just a regular foster care, and then they are um, they get an assessment because of behaviors or different things that they're exhibiting, and they're rude to need more than just a regular foster home. So they may have a severe emotional disturbance, or you'll hear someone say a SED, which is severe emotional disturbance. They have that ruling from a psychiatrist, or they're medically fragile, whereas um, they have some health needs that um, require special training or assistance to get through. Okay, Tony Fletcher with Canopy Children's Solutions. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. A mental health background is not needed to become a therapeutic foster parent. More information about becoming a therapeutic foster parent is available at mycanopy.org. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu.